Uh, The reading this morning is from Deuteronomy, um, chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Of the land that we took over at that time, I gave the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory north of the Aroer by the Arnon Gorge, including half the hill country of Gilead, together with its towns. The rest of Gilead, and also all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. The whole region of Argob and Bashan used to be known as the land of the Rephates. Jair, a descendant of Manasseh, took the whole region of Argob as far as the border of the Gesherites and the Machathites. It was named after him, so that to this day, Bashan is called Havoth Jair. And I gave Gilead to Machia. But to the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave the territory extending from Gilead down to the Arnon Gorge, the middle of the gorge being the border, and out to the Jabok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. Its western border was the Jordan and the Arabah, from Kinnereth to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, below, below the slopes of Pisgah. I commanded you at that time, the Lord your God has given you this land to take possession of it, but all your able-bodied men, armed for battle, must cross over ahead of your brother Israelites. However, your wives, your children and your livestock, I know you have much livestock, may stay in the towns I have given you until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they too have taken over the land that the Lord your God is giving them across the Jordan. After that, each of you may go back to the possession I have given you. At that time, I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord. O sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servants your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That's enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me any more about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes, since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So we stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. This is the word of the Lord. Well, very good morning to you, folks. Well, sorry, take my sweet out. Anybody want it? No. Well, very good morning to you, folks. Uh, if you're a visitor, or you haven't been here for a while, or you weren't here the last time I preached, just very quickly, the book of Deuteronomy is really three sermons by Moses to the people of Israel. Uh, the people of Israel are about to enter the promised land. That's the, that's the children of the people 40 years before who wouldn't enter the land. Well, it's these children now who've grown up, and they now stand at the land, ready to possess the land, and Moses is encouraging them to go into the land. And that's the... Um, That's really what Deuteronomy is about. And I think this part is the second part of the sermon where he's encouraging the people how to live in the land. 
So let me pray. Look at this blooming thing. What a, can I see? Is that all right? Can you still hear me? Good. Let me pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. A question which you've no need to answer, you can answer it yourself. Are you praying for God to grow this church in all aspects, spiritually as well as numerically? I hope you are. But it's important that if you do grow, that it's done God's way. And the passage we're looking at this morning, this, uh, which was just very so very well read, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 12 to 29, shows us some of God's way. This section is about the generation of Israelites who did respond to God's call to enter the land. The previous generation didn't enter the land. They didn't obey God's call. But th- that was the previous generation, but this generation do. And this section is the beginning of them going into that land. When it says in verses 12 and 18, at that time, Moses is speaking about recent times. About about this generation of Israelites who are poised to cross the river Jordan and take possession of the main part of the land. They've already taken some possession of some of the land on this side of the Jordan, but he's encouraging them now to go across and take the rest. So at this time means recently. It's what they've just done. They've taken some of the land, and that is the context of this passage. They've come this far, and now Moses is encouraging them to press on and take all the land on the other side of the Jordan. And in what he tells them, and in some of the things he tells them to do and be, we can see certain principles about how they should live in the land successfully under God. That is God's way. And if we are to grow as a church in response to God's call, which we are, we also need to do it God's way. And I can see in this passage, Moses gives three important principles which we should be committed to as a church. Let's go through them. First, if we're to grow as a church in God's way, each one of us needs a growing commitment to being part of God's family here in this church family. Verses 12 to 20 shows God's concern for all of Israel. See what happens. Three tribes, Reuben and Gad in verse 12, uh, 12, and Manasseh in verse 14, they were allotted land on this side of the Jordan, and they were to take possession of that land now. But, verse 18, all your able-bodied men, from those three tribes that is, all your able-bodied men armed for battle must cross, cross over ahead of your brother Israelites. Your wives, your children, and livestock are to stay here until the Lord gives rest to the brothers and they have taken the land that God has given them. After that, he says, each of you may go back to the possession which I have given you. So even though those tribes, those three tribes, had already taken their land, the men mustn't rest until their brother Israelites are also settled. And so, yes, God cares for the individual tribes, but he also cares for all of Israel. So it is with Christians and the church today. The church is the body of Christ. We are one body. And God is concerned for you as an individual, yes, and our local church, yes, but also the whole church. And Christians, us, must think that way. We must be committed to the local church, but also New Zealand-wide church and worldwide church. Some Christians these days are sort of 
spiritual gypsies. Churches are easy to get to today, and so they frequently change churches, and they never quite, they never quite commit themselves to one particular fellowship. Now, I'm not speaking of Christians who leave churches for good reasons. For example, if they're not being spiritually fed, I encourage Christians to go to a church which is spiritually fed. Or if they leave the church to help another church, for example. Or if something happens, which we've recently experienced as Anglicans, we change churches. There will be good reasons when Christians leave a church. But church hopping is not the teaching of the New Testament. Christians are to be part of, involved in, and ministering in a local church family. But local churches can be the same. Some churches sort of isolate themselves and care little about what goes on on the outside world outside of their own fellowship. Again, that is wrong. We are part of God's whole church, and when we can, we should know and care for other churches. Lovely to hear from Casey this morning what she's doing in Spain. And we should care for other churches. Do you know, for example, what's going on in the church in Iran or China or North Korea? Do you know that Christians there are under great persecution? They're not allowed to meet or see each other. Are you aware of the issues, the big issues, facing the wider church in New Zealand and the church in the West generally? Many churches in the West, even denominations in Western culture today who are standing for truth are going through tremendous suffering. Are you aware of that? Do you pray about that? That's very important. Being committed also means caring for and putting others first in the fellowship. Verse 20, make sure your brothers are settled, then you can go and take your possession. The women and the children of those three tribes went without their husbands and their fathers, and some of them wouldn't have returned. But the needs of the community came first, and that is God's way if we are to grow as a church family. Caring for others in the church family, even putting them first, is very important. Is that this church? Is that you? Are you caring for your sister? Do you know what they're going through? Do you know what your brother's going through? How they're struggling? They may be going through difficulties or joys or trials. Do you know? Jesus said, love one another. How? As I have loved you. Jesus gave his life for his church. That, that we come first. We came first before Jesus. Would you do that? Well, that is growing God's way. That's the first thing. Secondly, growing God's way is trusting God. In verse 21, Moses encouraged the Israelites to trust God because, verse 22, they were afraid of entering the land. When you read through Deuteronomy, you see that the Canaanites in the land of Canaan, they had fierce warriors. They had fortified cities. It was frightening. But Moses said, don't be afraid. And he reminded them, in verse 21, of what the Lord had already done. You have seen with your own eyes, he said, what the Lord did to those two kings. He will do the same again. Don't be afraid. The Lord himself will fight for you. Moses' faith isn't rocket science. It's not complicated. It's very simple. Trust God to do this because you've seen him do it already. 
Trust God to do this because you've seen him do it already. That's the principle. Remember what God has done before and go in confidence because he'll do it again. And over the years I've found and other Christians have found that that's often the hardest thing for us as Christians, isn't it? Just trusting God. And often exactly the same here because of fear. We often shy away from telling our friends or our workmates that they're Christians for fear of what they'll say about us or what they'll think about us. They'll think we've grown our brains away. They'll think, they'll think we, won't, we won't use our brains for anything. They'll think ill of us. We fear having gospel conversations, thinking, well, these people will never come to faith. I'll talk about this, but they'll just never come to faith. So we, we fear about doing it. But think carefully. God has brought me to believe, so he'll do it again. God has brought people here in this congregation, in this very room. He's brought these people, you people, to faith. So it's reasonable, even likely, that he'll do it again. What is it that you know that you should be doing, some ministry maybe, growing in faith as a Christian, but fear is holding you back? If as a church we are praying that God would grow us, then in the future, in the near future, we are going to be asked to step out in faith. And it's very frightening. And it will be on big issues. Buildings, finances, change of staff. And when those times come, it's very important that we remember as a congregation Moses' principle. Trust God, because he's done it before, and he will do it again. He's done great things in this congregation, in this diocese. He's done it before, and he will do it again. So trust God. Thirdly, growing God's way is being committed to accepting God's will, no matter how difficult or hard that may be. I found, as I was studying this passage again, I found verses 23 to 29 very very moving it was very sad Moses prays that God will let him enter the promised land but God said no now think about that put yourself in the shoes of Moses Moses's life's work since the burning bush 80 years ago his aim in life his purpose in life his desire in life has been to bring God's people to the promised land to see that and to be part of it. But God told Moses years before this that he wouldn't enter the land. Well, now that time has come. The Israelites are about to enter the land. Has God changed his mind? After all that Moses has been through, surely God will change his mind. Verse 23, I pleaded with the Lord to let me go in. When you read it, you can sense the deep disappointment and even pain. If God says no, you're not entering the land. Because on top of everything else, Moses realizes something that the other, that the other Israelites don't realize. Look what he says to God. Look what Moses says to God. O oh, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. You have just begun. Do you notice that? Moses realizes that the great things that God has already done, miraculously after 400 years bringing Israel out of Egypt, 
freeing them from slavery. The great signs and wonders parting the Red Sea kept and provided for them in the wilderness, conquering great nations. These are incredible things. But Moses sees that all that is just a fraction of what he's going to do in the land. You have begun to show your servant. God has only just begun. He's going to do more great things in the land. Moses understands that, and he wants to be part of it. Oh, that myself and we Christians would see our life and ministry and what God is doing just like that, that God's only just begun. You ain't seen nothing yet. Also, Moses had now walked with God for decades, but his zeal for God, his faith in God, that God can do the impossible, hasn't lessened one iota over those decades. He's still God's only just begun. And I want to see it. I want to be part of it. You'll meet Moses one day, and I'll meet him, and I'm going to ask him, how did he keep so zealous? Because I find myself, and it's sad that some Christians seem to have less vision and less zeal than they did as young Christians. They somehow become less passionate about reaching the lost as they did many years ago when they first became Christians. They seem to have lost the zeal in asking and expecting God to do great things from God for the gospel. Oh, they're still involved in the church, but their spiritual zeal and their fire are sort of waned somehow. They've forgotten what God is capable of. They've lost God's, you ain't seen nothing yet. But churches can be the same. We can get so bogged down with stuff in the church and issues outside the church, or in our case, in our new diocese, we can look at what we haven't got, buildings, funds, ministers, and we can worry and let those things bog us down and we lose the zeal of God. Brothers and sisters, we mustn't lose our vision, our zeal. We mustn't lose what God is capable of. He has only just begun. He's only just begun with his diocese. I often read a Puritan prayer which ends, I ask great things of a great God. How many of people here have heard of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor, that was Hudson Taylor's prayer. The great missionary to China. And he did see great things done by God. He saw it. He expected them and he saw it, which we're still seeing the fruit of in China today. Well, that was Moses. And as God was moving Israel to enter the land, Moses wanted to be part of it. Verse 25, Lord, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. But God said, no. And Moses told the Israelites, verse 26, because of you, the Lord was angry with me and wouldn't listen to me. God said, verse 27, Moses, go to the top of Pisgah, look west, look north, look south, look east, look at the land, but you won't be the one to lead these people across the Jordan. Joshua will do that. That must have been devastating for him. God was angry with him because of this generation's parents. In a real sense, Moses was punished for their sins. Does that remind you of somebody? It's meant to. 
Moses was a picture of Jesus in many ways, rescuing God's people from slavery, taking them to the promised land, and here, innocent, yet experiencing God's anger, taking the punishment for the sins of others. That's Jesus. He died for our sins. And so Moses wasn't to enter the land. It is a sad, heartbreaking prayer, isn't it? God says, no. How do you respond when God says no? When the terminally ill loved one that you prayed for wasn't healed. The job that you prayed for. The relationship which seemed to be your life didn't work out. When a son or daughter loses faith and you pray and pray but nothing happens. A couple desperately want children, another Christian's couple baby who dies. How do you cope when you're rejected? By somebody or by something? How do you respond when God says, no? There will be people here this morning going through that right now. Well, from Moses' situation here, we can learn some things. For example, there are things that we don't know, like what is best for Moses? We think that Moses would enjoy the land and help the people to settle, but we can't see the bigger picture. All Moses could see was going to Canaan, but God knew heaven. Moses is one of the great people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You read that? And the fact that Moses is mentioned alongside Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob means Moses received great glory from God. Heaven. That's better than any earthly place. But Moses couldn't see that then. Moses also didn't know that day that he would have the greatest spiritual privilege that anybody has ever had. He would stand with Jesus and Elijah on the holy mountain at Jesus' transfiguration. God had greater things for Moses, but Moses couldn't see it. You likewise, you may think that some particular thing is better for you, and you can't understand it, but you don't have the greater picture. And I don't say that in a trivial way, but we don't know. We don't have the greater... God does. Trust him. Moses also didn't know what was best for the people. Moses not entering the land would have two effects on the people of Israel. One, it would be a warning that as great as Moses was, even if he disobeys God, he will feel God's displeasure. In the land, the people would be tempted to walk away from God and worship idols and not care about God at all. This is a warning. God means what he says. But it it would have another effect on the Israelites. Moses was a man of God and a great leader, and the people followed him and respected him. They obeyed him. They trusted him. He was their spiritual leader and had been for all these children's lives, all the 40 years they've grown up. He'd been their spiritual leader. Had they come to depend on Moses instead of God, it's easy to do. Some Christians... And some churches do that. They come to depend on their minister 
or some spiritual guru that they hear on Radio Rima or their favourite little Christian book or whatever it is. Or they come to depend on the church family. They come to depend on their Bible study group. Rather than God, it's easy to do. No, share with your minister, share with people, take their advice, share, seek their advice, enjoy them, learn from their ministry, but ultimately, brothers and sisters, we must depend on God. No human being. God saying no to Moses was also important for Joshua. Moses' task was to lead the Israelites through the wilderness to the promised land, and his work had now finished. Joshua was now taking over, and his ministry was different. It's a time of change. It's a time of handing over. One minister's work had ended, another was about to begin. And some of the Israelites would find Joshua taking over a bit hard, really. Oh, Joshua's okay, but he's not Moses. Things, things were great with Moses. Things were wonderful. When ministers change in churches, there's often a tendency for some in the congregation to hark back to the good old days of the old pastor. Oh, he was just wonderful. Oh, this Wally Bean who comes in, he's a blooming pain. We used to like so-and-so. He was just wonderful. Wally was good-looking and all that kind of stuff, but not always. <laughs> Steady on. Take it easy. That can happen in a church. You at St. Stephen's, who have been here for many years, will have been through that a number of times. And there is a tendency. And as the church grows, and it will grow, you will go through it again. I'll say no more on that. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lastly, the most important question, of course, is when God says no, is what is best for God's kingdom? And here's the greatness of Moses. See how he prays. Verse 24, Moses addresses God as sovereign Lord and himself as God's servant. Moses had served God all his life, and God had led and guided and called all the shots. God had directed, and here it's the same. When to die is not Moses' decision. Whether he goes into the land or not is not Moses' decision. It is God's decision. And as disappointing as that is, Moses accepts that. And that is the greatness of Moses' life and Moses' prayer. Often in prayer, we ask God for things. We ask for healing, or we ask for more resources, or get me out of this situation, or do this, or give me this, rather than to rely more on him. That should be our prayer. Now, these things are not wrong, praying for situation. Of course they're not. But what Moses learned after 80 years of walking with God was to pray not so much for things, but to rely on God. We want to live in a different place or be in different circumstances, so we ask God to find us something different. But maybe God has put us here at this time for our workmates or our neighbours that we can develop relationships with and reach them for the gospel. So maybe you should pray for wisdom to reach those people for the gospel where you are and now. We want God to take away our suffering and our pain and our hurt and our problems and difficulties and trials and grief or to take away our illness. But maybe we should ask God for his grace to hold us through those things. 
You see, we always want more things. But what we actually need more of is God's grace. When John Wesley's successor, a man called John Fletcher, was asked to be a bishop, the other bishops asked him, was there anything more that he wanted? Without, quick as a flash, without hesitation, Fletcher responded, I want more grace. I want more grace. And that was Moses. And it's what we need when God says no. That's what we need. It's what we've been singing about, the grace we've been singing about, to grow in his grace. And we need more of his grace. So, are we as a church open to be used by God to grow? I hope we are. Are we prepared? Are we committed to really being part of God's family and caring for the others? Is Sunday church important? Our gathering important? Are we committed to really trusting God when it's frightening? And are we committed to accepting God's will no matter what the cost or how difficult. Well, if that's the case, then we can look forward to growing as a church and God growing us in his way. Let me pray. We'll just leave a moment of silence for us to think about these things and allow God to speak to us individually and as a church. Heavenly Father, there will be people here this morning <clears throat> who are not understanding some things. Who may be going through some grief or some trial or something that's gone on when you appear to have said no. Strengthen them, Father, I pray, and help all of us to see what we really need to continue this great walk in faith and to love Jesus Christ our Saviour more and more is your grace. Fill us with your grace we pray that we may honour you and that we may honour the person who walked that lonely, lonely road to Calvary, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.